I was laughing at myself. I, there's an old 60s song, and it was entitled Smooth Operator. <laughs> well, that, that ain't me, I guess. But anyways, we are here together, and I can't tell you how excited Joe and I are to be back here with you. Um, in a lot of ways, it seems like we haven't left, especially when there's a crisis. I know there's a, a group of people in Fort Capel who know us and love us despite knowing us, and they will pray. I know that. And um, so that's really good. Can I start th this morning and just uh, some familiar faces that um, just love looking out and, and seeing you? If you have your Bibles, though, before I get carried away with emotion, I want to stick to the facts. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. But, so hold your place there. And I just want to share a couple of verses of Scripture. Just to... Because they're meaningful to me. I think I, I remember preaching this. Here, and I'm sure Bob and Janice will know what date it was even when I preached it. It was Psalm 27. But just listen to God's word here and the power of it. Psalm 27, the first couple of verses says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Aren't those triumphant words? And then verse 13. I am still confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. Those are words of promise and hope. I don't know that. Security. The trouble is we live in a world that isn't very secure, isn't it? And we don't know what a day will bring. I heard a line in a sad song the other day. It was from a clip a, a friend sent me, and it's uh, sung by a couple old guys. They had the long hair and the, the long beards and a couple of guitars. And one of the lines in the song really caught my attention because it kind of expresses what's inside my heart as an old man. I, I don't recognize this world anymore. The last few years, have you noticed the change in our world? It's just, I don't know what happened, but it's like we don't recognize the world anymore. Something has changed. 
You know, we don't have to be old to sing a song like that. That's the thing. It can seem apparent to most that the world is in one big state of crises. I mean, the Middle East is on fire. The country of Chile is literally on fire with its out-of-control forest fires. And the, the poor nation of Israel, I hope you're praying for Jerusalem, the peace of Jerusalem. But the good news in all of this bad news that I'm starting with is all of these are pointing to the fact that soon and very soon we are going to see the king. He's coming back. At one time, this used to be just a nice little song that we sang together to encourage each other a little bit. But no, this song is actually coming true before our very eyes. So we live in a world of crises. And we can say that generally speaking, when it's somebody else going through the crisis, that's, oh, that's too bad. But every once in a while, every once in a while, crisis comes knocking at our door. It could be a, a phone call, it could be a doctor's visit, it could be loss of employment, loss of a home, or loss of a loved one. And we enter into a time of crisis. And these scripture verses that I was reading to you from Psalm, we hear them and we see them, and, but we don't feel them. Do you know what I'm talking about? Panic, panic sets in. Fear sets in. So what do we do? The crisis does test our faith. We say we have faith in Jesus Christ, but nothing um, illustrates whether we do or whether we don't that a crisis does. Warren Wiersbe once wrote, he says, a, a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. Do you see what he's saying? In other words, how do we know for sure that we have trust and faith in Jesus Christ unless we have been placed in a position where we have nothing but Jesus to trust? Reminds me of an old African proverb that goes something like smooth seas do not make skillful sailors. When it's bright and sunny and there's just a little breeze on the water, everything's fine. But when a storm hits and you're not experienced 
you could be in trouble. I want us to look at our, our text here, and I, and I just have to give a little bit of background about this text so that we kind of have in our mind the, the setting of where this takes place. Jenny read for us the, the, the text, but this Sea of Galilee that Jenny mentioned is also called the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, just some facts that you may or may not want to know, but it is 21 kilometers long and 11 kilometers wide in places. It's also, this is interesting, 211 meters below sea level. And the Jordan River flows through it and flows down to the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea is at approximately 430 meters below sea level. But what's really interesting and really informative for our story this morning, not our story, our, the account, is that the Sea of Galilee is a body of fresh water and it's surrounded by high hills. And the hills are high enough to make the sea vulnerable to uh, powerful atmospheric downdrafts, like the wind would just rush down the mountains and it'd produce these sudden storms that would come up onto the sea. So I just want you to kind of put that aside and kind of take note of that because now we're going to get into the, into the story. Jesus has been teaching all day and it's getting toward evening. And in verse 35, he says, that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. Now there's not much there unless you think, well, let, let's drive into Regina this afternoon and go here or go there or, or do our business. It was like, no big deal. We're just going to go across the, the sea. It was their mode of transportation. It was common. But believe it or not, this is where the crisis actually begins. It's an ordinary day. And like any ordinary day, things happen. And it's interesting that throughout that day, Jesus had been talking, teaching about the kingdom of God, teaching the people who had gathered around him and his disciples about the kingdom of God. So in verse 36, we look and we see, and leaving the crowd, this is the disciples, they took him, Jesus, with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them too. So you can kind of see this caravan of boats, I don't know, a fleet of boats, I guess you would call it, were starting to sail across the Sea of Galilee. And there's just a couple of things here that I found curious. It's just an observation, maybe I'm making too much of it. 
But I found the phrasing of this very interesting. They took Jesus with them in the boat. And like I say, maybe I'm making too much of this, but I don't think so. What I mean about all this is, okay, we've got all the experienced sailors are, are in the boat and they climb aboard and oh yeah, Jesus, you come along too. It's almost like he's a, a tag along. Now keep in mind, it was Jesus who said also, let us go over to the other side. It was his initiative to go to the other side. Now, I, when I was looking at this verse and just kind of pondering it, I got wondered, I wonder how many times I brought Jesus along with me on whatever I was doing, whatever enterprise I was involved in, whatever trip I was on or I wonder how many times I've launched out in the wild blue yonder and, and almost like second thought, oh yeah, Jesus, you, you come along with me too. I, I know you, you probably wouldn't do that, but I know I've been guilty of that. Just a passing thought. Let's move on. I wish I had Bob and Janice's skill here, but I'm going to try my best to be able to be, play the role of a teacher for a moment. I'm going to try and make an imaginary graph. When you are plotting out a, a story or an event, a, a story, a short story in particular, begins kind of on a flat line. You're getting to name, okay, these are the characters involved and so on. And it kind of goes along like this on the graph, right? But then all of a sudden, a crisis begins to build and the graph shoots up like this. And the, and the, the reason it's shooting up, you can feel the tension of the story. There's something unexpected happening. There's a, a crisis of Peru. So Jesus, with his disciples in a boat, along with the other boats, going to the other side. But suddenly, as I mentioned in this very next verse, the story is going to take a dramatic turn upward. And the crisis is going to get very real and very personal. Verse 37. Verse 37. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Okay. There's our crisis in one verse. That's our crisis. I remember my, my brother and I, we were on Lake Erie, and I had a 16-foot um, fishing boat open, and it was um, with a 20-horse Evinrude, never failed, right? 
I don't know what I was thinking, but anyways, we were way out because that's where the pickerel were. And so we were way out there. And we ran into a bunch of pickerel. We found them and we were just having hauling the boats in until I looked around and I started to see three foot waves all around us. And we were, I don't know how many miles. I tell my grandkids that it was at least 10 miles away, but I'll tell you it was likely four or five. Okay. But we were out there and I began to be concerned. So we pulled in our lines and we started heading, heading for the shore. You couldn't just rush it or you'd get swamped. And I remember being scared and, and trust me, I did pray till we reached the shore and we were safe. My brother didn't know I was praying, but I was praying. He thought I had everything under control, but I didn't. But the sudden storm that the disciples found themselves in was bad, and that's with a capital B. This is life-threatening. Major crisis. And the disciples were struck with fear even though, and these are experienced sailors, they knew the Sea of Galilee like the back of their hand. And this, these disciples were, were frightened. They were doing everything. They were, you can almost see it, can't you? Yelling commands at one another. The, hoisting the sails or whatever sailors do, bailing water as the water came in. They were trying to throw as much of it out of the boat, trying to their best to keep that boat on top of the water, not the water inside the boat. But despite all of their experience, skill as sailors and their trust in their boat, They came to that place, and I think we've, most of us have been in that place where we think, wow, this is way bigger than I am, or this is way bigger than us. You know, our crises that come into our lives come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Joe and I have had a crisis. Our family has had a crisis the, the past month here. And uh, it was very personal. But we've been in other crises where it was different, completely different kind of crisis. For, for example, you can, you can look at, at different crisis, like, you know, my job was supposed to provide for me until retirement, and then I could take it easy and everything would be just wonderful. Or my job or business is not intended to, intended to just all of a sudden fail just like that. And you farmers, You look out on a, a, 
at the end of, of a storm and you realize that your whole crop has been wiped out. And you wonder, what do I do now? You have no answers. I remember a hockey buddy of mine, Junior, he, uh, he had lost his, his boy a little older than our niece that you were praying for earlier. And we were talking, and he was broken. He's broken like I had never seen him before. And I remember him saying to me, Doss, he says, a parent isn't supposed to lose their child. I'm supposed to die first. It's not how it's supposed to work. He was in a crisis. And there were no answers. And I sure didn't know what, I didn't know what to say. But put my arm around him. Psalmist David remembered the time when he was in a crisis. And he wrote this in Psalm 31 verse 2. He realized that no one could save him but the Lord. That's an important phrase. No one could save him but the Lord. And he writes this, turn your ear to me, come quickly to my rescue. He's pouring out his soul to the Lord and he just lets it out. Lord, rescue me. Psalmist David just poured it, laid everything out in the open. His independence, his strength, all of that was meaningless because now he is the one that needs rescuing. So we left the, we left the disciples, they were in a panic. They didn't know what was going to happen next. They were just doing the next thing that was in front of them. But look, think back in the story. Think back to verse 35. Remember how everything was close to the shore? Security, everything was cool. Everything was, quote, normal. Everything was under control. And when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about our world. I want to take a, a big picture kind of thing. Think back into the 1940s. The United States was slowly coming out of a depression. And it's a beautiful Sunday morning in Hawaii. And suddenly on December the 7th, 1941, the whole world changed as Japanese zero planes came in and struck the harbor with bombs. But up until that point, everything was normal. The morning of 9-11, everything was normal till the terrorists 
flew their plane into a building. It was suddenly, the world just dramatically changed. The world was in crisis. And our hearts are still breaking. October 7th, 2023, when a normal morning turned into a bloodbath. Some 1,200 people were slaughtered. Why? We can assume now it's because they were Jewish and because they were God's chosen people. But that question doesn't, isn't answered right away. The bombs start falling, the, plane, the planes start crashing, the, the demonic soldiers come slashing and slaughtering. And all of a sudden we're in a crisis. I can't imagine what those folks went through. It's interesting, isn't it, just how quickly our I-can-handle-it kind of attitude melts into a gel. And we can hardly stand up. How quickly our independent nature is dealt a big blow by a crisis. And we humbly cry out just like David, turn your ear to me, oh God, come quickly to my rescue. We hate the pain that we're in, but we can't do anything about it except cry out to our God. I've sometimes wondered about this if crises comes into our life to spark a revival in a prayer meeting. I wonder if when we're in the middle of that crisis, if it's just the Lord stoking the fire of that trial because he's the refiner's fire. Remember, we sing that song. And he's just stoking that fire up to harden and strengthen our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I want us to look at verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Teacher. With the storm and everything going on, we've all, and all the work that the, the disciples were doing upon that boat, they almost forgot that 
Oh yeah, where's Jesus? Oh yeah, he's in the back sleeping. Can you imagine? It must have been really, if, if it wasn't so serious, it, it, there's a kind of a humor to it almost, isn't there? Maybe it's just me. But I, I took note in, in the study that Jesus' disciples addressed the Lord Jesus Christ as teacher. Which got me to wondering or question, do they realize who he is? Do they really understand who this one is who is sleeping in the stern? I think it's pretty obvious. Wouldn't you agree that they haven't got a clue yet who he is? But then I have to ask myself and ask you this morning, do we have a clue who we are worshiping this morning? And I say that with, with love. Do we really understand? Can we fully comprehend that we are worshiping the living God of heaven and earth? That we are worshiping God, the, the Lord, who God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Why? To rescue sinners from their sin. We were in crisis of all crises. This was a crisis. And I wonder sometimes, and again, this is the critical side of me, I, I wonder sometimes if, if the church, the Western world church, really understands who Jesus really is. Jesus isn't a, just an add-on to get rich quick scheme. He is the Lord God Almighty. He, and he alone is our good shepherd. I wonder if we began to exalt him in our minds and in our hearts and reverent, reverently place him where he should be, how, how would that change our worship? How would that change our daily lives? Whether we're in a crisis or not. Back on the boat. Here's some strong evidence that the disciples didn't fully realize the identity of Jesus Christ. And it's this, that the disciples were acting as if they were the prosecutors. And Jesus was in the witness stand, or as they say in England, in the dock. And they were hurling this question of him. Think of this. Don't you care you are perishing? That we are perishing? Now, I know on a timeline, when we look at this, we are on the other side of the cross and the resurrection. So we can look back and we can say, oh yeah, it's recorded in God's word. 
who Jesus is. In fact, that's what the Bible is all about. It points to Jesus Christ. Right? So we have that. And so we, we see Jesus and we know that we are living in the present and we are awaiting the second coming of this one Jesus Christ. So there's a sense that we see much more clearly than the disciples could. After all, the whole Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament reveals the truth of Christ, but still how this serious accusation by the disciples is just blurted out and it's against Jesus. The one who is co-equal to God, he is a member of the Trinity. The King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord strong in battle, the very King of heaven and earth, Emmanuel. And they dare to accuse the Lord of not caring? Not to put us on guilt trip, I'm not there, but I have to ask, I, I have to confess, are we sometimes guilty of throwing that same accusation at him? Because we are only seen on this side of heaven. We don't have his sovereign perspective at all in view. But it's often in crisis where when our thoughts and our emotions are flying all over the place and they're flying off the wall and off the ceiling and we might also be tempted to accuse the Lord of not caring. It's almost like we are the judge and the jury, the lead uh, prosecutor, and it's Jesus on trial. And we ask, don't you care? That's not what they told me in Sunday school. Listen, the point is this. Do we realize the true identity of Jesus and do we fully realize the depth of our crisis without him? Romans 4, 20, verse 25. Listen carefully. He, meaning Jesus, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. The whole key of our life must be Jesus. And when your boat is sinking, the next time it starts to sink and you're panicked, and you think you're going down to Davy Jones's locker? I want you to do something. Be reminded of this. 
and look at the cross and ask yourself, does Jesus care? Folks, he sure does. Verse 39, 40. He, this is beautiful. Jesus got up, rebuked the wind and the waves. Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Quite a dramatic turn of events here. Not only is the, is the crisis now past, now look who's in the witness stand. The disciples. And Jesus, did you see the pointedness of, but very pointedness and, and direct? I think they're the same thing. But he, he, he asked them, Two very important questions that kind of blend in together. Why are you so afraid and do you have, do you still have no faith? If we are filled with fear, can we be filled with faith at the same time? These questions... And this is hard. I'm preaching to myself, folks. This, this goes right into the heart of the matter, isn't it? The disciples stand speechless in his court. They have no answer. He knows the answer to his questions, but he wants them to see that they have no answer to his question. I believe this to be the fundamental questions, especially today, that we, in the days in which we live right now. Church, I wish I could tell you that tomorrow's gonna be a, you know, be one of those guys on TV and smiles a lot and tells, tomorrow's gonna be your best day. For the church of Jesus Christ, days of persecution are ahead of us. And we better be filled with the faith in Jesus Christ. And it better be strong. The signs or the birth pangs of the Lord's return are quickening. Like you talk about the Lord's return, you think, oh, that's just so wonderful. Well, it's not going to be wonderful until he returns. It's going to be not very good until he comes. It's going to be birth pangs. There is going to be pain. There are going to be tears. And the waves are going to get higher. But if Jesus Christ is in our boat, what have we got to fear? One little word. And our crisis will seem like, what was that? It'll be gone. How is your faith? in Jesus this morning. The church, Joe and I know it. We, we, we've just come out of a season of fear. I'm not, 
saying, oh, look at me, I'm just, a, I'm just a guy that loves the Lord. But really, when you think about it before the storm comes, there is no need to fear. His word is sure. His promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And he has already given us the gift of eternal life in him. There's an old hymn, and I'll close with this. It says, just some words that caught my attention last week as I was, I was studying. It, uh, it was a hymn called, My God I Have Found. And it's by a person named J. Denham Smith. Listen to the lyrics if you can. I don't have them written, but just listen to, to the depth of, his, uh, of the lyrics here. Accepted am I in the once offered lamb. It was God who himself had devised the plan. And though here below, mid sorrow and woe, my place is in heaven with Jesus, I know. And this I shall find, for such is his mind. He'll not be in heaven and leave me behind. What more do we need if we have Christ? Let's pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus, we're, we stand in awe of you. We can see clearly now, Lord, the closer we get to you, we know why all of heaven sings your praises. And they fall down before you in all of your holiness and your splendor and your glory. This sovereign God that we know through faith in Jesus Christ, we worship you. And we want to together give you praise, and glory, and thanksgiving. For only you are worthy, Lord, of it all. Lord, we know that we don't know what holds tomorrow, but as the song goes, we know who that you hold tomorrow. And so that's, that's all that matters to us, Lord, right now. Our whole purpose Lord, is to worship you and to get to know you better, whether it's in suffering or whether it's in sunny skies and smooth sailing. We love you, Lord. And we want to just thank you so much for being here this morning and giving me this gift to be with your people. Amen.